Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast, where today we have the Director of Promotions here at Indiana Bible College, Brother Chris Henderson. Brother Henderson preaches a message today entitled, Millennials, Moses, and Mountains. But before we get to that kind of ambiguous title, I want you to consider going over to go to ibc.com forward slash connect. There you can register for this preview weekend event. IBC Connect is the high school junior and senior and maybe even the college and freshman or sophomore and freshman looking at the one-year or two-year bachelor program. It's your opportunity to come on campus, get a feel for what Indiana Bible College has to offer and how we can partner with you in training for your ministry. Right now, let's listen to Brother Henderson, Millennials, Moses, and Mountains. We love you, Jesus. We praise and lift you up, God, for you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are high and lifted up, Jesus, and your train fills the temple, mighty God. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised, Jesus. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for calling us your own, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your loving kindness and tender mercies that are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You're so great, Jesus. You're so great, Jesus. God is worthy of our praise. I'm not sure that I was worthy of everything you said, but thank you. And I do know this, though. God is worthy of our praise. I want to talk for a few minutes. You can be seated. Uh, I, I believe that from beginning to end, this service has been orchestrated by the hand of God. I don't think that there was a song selection that was... Wrong. I don't think that the words that Brother Kilman said were wrong. I don't think that any of that is the case. Because I turned around to Brother Turner as Brother Kilman was talking, and I said, I wish he would get off of my sermon. <laughs> so, and, and I picked up my iPad while uh, Sister Brooke was leading worship, and I feverishly started typing because God was speaking, and I didn't want to miss the opportunity of what he was saying so I believe that from beginning to end, this service has been orchestrated of God. But it would be remiss if it was orchestrated of God and we did not pay attention. So I want to challenge you today, uh, just for a few minutes, I'm not sure how long uh, we'll be here today, but I do know that however long we stay in tune, uh, God will stay in tune with us as well. So uh, the last time I was privileged to preach in this pulpit, I had a sermon that had been uh, percolating in my heart and in my life for some time. Uh, this is not the case today. Uh, I was actually standing in the business lobby yesterday, and I asked Sister Mast. I said, Sister Mast, I've got two things uh, that I kind of am, am thinking would be really good for chapel tomorrow. And uh, I, but one of them is a lesson. One of them is a is a really thick, dense lesson on the role of media in a Christian life. And she said, well, I mean, what, what's the question? I said, well, I don't want Brother Gallion to have entrusted this opportunity with me and then me not uh, kind of do what he expected. And, and so we talked for a few minutes, and, and I went home, and, and I wrote something completely different. 
So bear with me as I, as I go through this, and I want to ask God uh, one more time. I know that his word is anointed, and we're going to get into his word. I promise everything that I'm going to say is, is established in his word, but we're going to take a little bit route, a little bit different route to get there. We're not going to be talking about the role of media in a Christian life, but I do want to talk for a few minutes on millennials, Moses, and mountains. Millennial, Moses, and mountains. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts today. We know that your word is anointed, God. We, we understand that through our study. We feel that in our hearts. But Lord, we want you to open our minds to hear what you would have to speak directly into our lives, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our lives to receive your word. Let us be fertile ground on which this word cast out can take root and grow and become part of who we are, Jesus, that your preached word would change our hearts and our lives and reset our course toward you, Jesus. Maybe it's a course correction toward you, God. That's what we want today. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen, amen. Millennials, Moses, and mountains, all three have a common theme, and we're going to find that common theme today. Most everyone in this room is described as or defined as a millennial. More often than not, there are conflicting feelings when someone says the word millennial. Some have very high hopes, while other, others of society voice their concern for the millennial in clever YouTube jingles about how they expect something from nothing and how they expect to have a job and not to work. And, and I, I want to say that I do believe that the millennials have a purpose. I want to say that the millennials do have a call of God on their lives. I want to say today that I do with all of my heart. That's why I'm still here. That's why I do what I do. That's why we do as staff what we do. What we believe is that you can change your world. You can change your world and you will change your world. You can do it. Simon Sinek has said, uh, and he's made a healthy living on this, uh, articulating how to deal with millennials from a leadership standpoint. Some guys, I, now a millennial defined as someone based on, uh, someone born, and this is based on a quick Google search because Google is, right? That's because by one year I qualify as a millennial. That's a weird thing to say. I could be a millennial. Now, I'm at the very beginning. If you were born in 1984 and beyond, you, you were considered a millennial. I was born in 1984, uh, March 20th. And so some things that this gentleman has noted is the addictiveness of social media for instant gratification. The addictiveness of social media for instant gratification. When, when a millennial feels alone, when a millennial feels down, when a millennial feels like they don't have a purpose in life, they can easily go to social media for an instant gratification. And while the millennial may not be the first to struggle with the addiction of technology, may be the first to struggle with the addiction of technology, it's certainly not the first generation to struggle with addiction. 
So we struggle with the addiction to technology for that instant gratification. He notes the impatience of this generation, perhaps brought on by the microwaves in our home. I would much rather, let it be said, I would much rather have a pot roast out of a slow-cooked oven than a microwave pot roast. By the way, tacos are for lunch, not pot roast. I know, kind of a letdown, huh? But he notes that the impatience of this generation is something that is a fault of this generation. And while millennials may be the first to struggle with the microwave provisions that we are offered, whether emotionally or physically, it's certainly not the first generation to struggle with timing and impatience. He notes that millennials in the workforce want to be part of something that has purpose and want to make an impact. He says that millennials were just dealt a bad hand. They have a desire to change the world, but through a series of misfortunes, they've not been given the tools with which to change it. I'd like to offer some tools with which you can change your world today. While millennials have come to the realization that they want to change the world, what we need to realize as millennials is that they are not the first generation to have the desire to change the world. The time was very much like ours, yet very different. It was World War II, and Robert Sherrod was a journalist who was assigned to Washington, D.C. to cover the political scene. And when America declared war... On the Western Front and over in the Pacific, on the Pacific Front, he said, I am asking to be reassigned to the Pacific Front. Why did Mr. Sherrod ask to be assigned to the Pacific Front? Because he had a desire to change his world. He wanted to be able to pin the stories of the men and women that won the victory in the Pacific Front. And Mr. Sherrod said, I am convinced that it's not a matter of can we win the war. He saw the political machinery that was in place. He saw the physical machinery that was in place. He knew that Americans had the wherewithal to win. But what he pinned was this. Do we have the guts to win the war? I ask this generation standing before me, it's not do we have the machinery, do we have the ability, are we capable of winning the war because the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The question is not can we win, but do we have the guts to stand in the face of adversity? Do we have the guts to stand in the face of unrighteousness and say, no, that's not right? Do we have the guts to stand in the face of unpopularity and say, this may not be a popular message, but it's a right message? Do we have the guts to stand in the face of our friends and family and say, this is the way? This is the truth, and this is the life. My question is, can we win the war because we have the guts? It's not something that I can answer for you. It's not a test question that I can help you along with. I can't walk beside you and say, Corbett, six times three is 18. I can't help you on this question. This has got to be a question that's settled deep in the confines of your own heart. 
This is a question that's got to be settled deep in the confines of your own mind. This is a question that has to be settled deep in who you are. No shade tree ever provided cool in the heat of summer without first having a root system. A deep root system that reaches as far out as it does up. A deep root system that when the winds of the, of the storm come, hold that tree to who it is. And in the next summer, allow it to provide shade again. I could name their names and you would know them well. They're great people, but they float aimlessly with no direction. They're millennials desiring to make an impact wherever they go, but never staying long enough to do so. They're millennials that want to change the world, but don't have the tools to do so. So let me join my voice with Winston Churchill. I will begin, therefore, by saying a most unpopular and unwelcoming thing. I do not doubt that this generation will change the world. The question I have to this generation is what lasting mark will you leave? On what hill will you die? How Will you change your world? How should millennials change their world? I propose that millennials should stop teaming up with each other and start teaming up with their elders. I propose that millennials should stop building kingdoms unto themselves and start building kingdoms unto God. I propose that millennials, if they're going to change their world, should find a place of prayer, should find a place of fasting, and decide in their own hearts that I am not leaving this hill called Calvary. I am not leaving this truth called faith. I am not leaving what I find to be true in Scripture. We believe in the Bible as the sole authority of life. So find yourself a place in your study here at Indiana Bible College. Find yourself a place in a prayer room somewhere and decide who are you going to be. Find yourself a place and answer that question before you ever make a plan for your life. Find yourself a place and ask yourself that question, how am I going to change the world? Allow me this story, personal story. I was a senior, Brother Kilman, at Indiana Bible College. It was spring semester. Brother Steve Waldron was my dean of biblical studies. And I asked him, I said, Brother Waldron, what, what, uh, what do you think I should do? He had grown to be a voice in my life. And he said, you know, Chris, because he always talks with his eyes closed. You know, Brother Chris, yeah, someone has taken a Brother Waldron class, I see. You know, Brother Chris, you uh, are a young ox, and you'll probably be paired up with an old ox to learn the pattern of the threshing floor. What kind of advice was that? It was the most backhanded compliment I'd have ever heard in my life. What should I do with my life, Brother Waldron? Speak to me. Speak into my heart. Speak into my life. Point me in the right direction. Ah, you're a young ox. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for someone who is so willing and able to speak the voice of unwanted truth in my life. I'm an ox. I'll probably be paired up with an old ox. 
to learn the pattern of the threshing floor. So, senior, I ask you this. How are you going to impact your world? Junior, I ask you this. How are you going to impact your world? Sophomores, freshmen, I ask you this. How are you going to impact your world? You're a bunch of oxes. Chances are you will be paired up with an old ox. Personally, I was paired up with one of the oldest oxes in the United Pentecostal Church International, Calvary Tabernacle. Personally, I had to learn the threshing floor, what it looked like to do ministry at Calvary Tabernacle. Personally, I had to walk yoked to someone that was like, just stay right here. This is how you do it. This is what it's like. This is why it's like. And in all of my young ox energy, I was like, let's go. I'm, I, come on, let's go. I'm ready. Let's go. No, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all. And the wisest thing that I was ever told is that I would learn the pattern of the threshing floor. I would learn how to do ministry and why it's done a particular way. I would learn, as it were, the traditions of the Bible. I would understand, I would come to know why we did things the certain way, why we acted a certain way, why we dressed a certain way. Did I question holiness? No, I didn't question holiness. How, how plain do you want me to make it? Real plain? Did I question why do I have to wear a tie? Yes. There, I said it. But I had to learn the pattern of the threshing floor. So how are you, senior, going to impact your world? By finding an ox. By finding a pastor to yoke up with and to buy into their vision, to buy into their biblical vision for revival in that city, to lend your energy to their dreams. That is how you, senior, will change the world. I begin, therefore, by saying the most unpopular and unwelcoming thing. You're not going to change the world by getting a bunch of your buddies together and going and having a, a, a church plant uh, that, it, it, listen, and I'm not, I'm not shooting arrows at any one thing because I know there, there are sects doing that right now. They've been doing it for a long time. This is not the first uh, team church plant that's happened. Okay? And I'm not against team church planting, but I'm going to tell you that if you're not yoked up with a pastor, if you're not yoked up with an elder, if you're not yoked up with someone who can teach you the pattern of the threshing floor, then you're not going to change your world for the better. You're not going to change your city for the better. You're not going to change your community for the better. 
Junior, how are you going to impact your world? Sophomore, freshman, I'm going to tell you how you can impact your world. You can go back to your home church and quit following these people that are catching you outside of IBC and saying, hey, why don't you come over here? You can go back to your home church and you can get with your pastor and you can say, pastor, how can I help you? I've got a lot of energy in my life and I want to yoke up with you and I want to help plow the pattern of this threshing floor and I want to follow your vision for truth and I want to follow your vision vision for revival in my city. You want to know how you can change your world? You can go back. You worship study student, you can go back and you can say, youth, youth pastor, worship pastor, I, I, I want to help. Is there a new song I can teach? Is there a floor I can vacuum? Is there a toilet I can scrub? Is there a class I can teach? You will change your world when you buy into the elder's vision. So the best way to change their world is together with the elders. Let's talk about Moses for a minute. Because remember, millennials are not the first generation that want to do good. The Bible is full of examples of men and women who wanted to make an impact. The Bible is full of examples of men and women who did make a difference. We're all familiar with the life of Moses, but the story begins long before he was around. Exodus chapter number 1. Verses 8 through 14, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal with them. Let us, let, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, that they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built Pharaoh treasure cities, Pitom, Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Often we think that revival looks fun, happy, go lucky. Follow your church history. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made, them, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick. And in all manner of service in the field, and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. It was to this series of misfortunes that Moses is born. Little baby Moses. Not only was this series of serving with rigor what Moses was born into, but the Pharaoh had said, you know, the more we afflict them, the more they grow. So we'll go ahead and kill all the males. It was into this series of misfortunes that the change was born. It was into this series of misfortunes where, where uh, Moses' mother placed him in a basket and put him in possibly the longest river in the world to watch him float away and have a, a, a little sister go or a big sister go after him. It was this series that caused an Egyptian woman to find him. It was this series that landed Moses back in his home until he was old enough. It was this series that provided Moses with the finest education that the world had to offer. 
It was this series that caused Luke to write in Acts chapter 7, verse number 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. That's a far cry from Moses' self-described, I'm slow of speech to I am at the burning bush. But he was schooled in the way of the Egyptians and and Acts chapter 7, 23 through 25 says, And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But They understood not. Moses truly was interested in delivering the children of Israel. He was interested in delivering those couple of people that were striving, uh, that were being beaten, and he killed an Egyptian. But Moses was not interested in what God was interested in, because while Moses' vision was so small, A couple of Egyptians, I can deliver them out of their hand. He supposed that their brethren would understand, but they understood not. God is over here saying, Moses, I've got so much more for you. I'm here to tell you that millennials, you've got to get your eye off of what you think God has for you and get your eyes on God. Because when you take your eyes off of what you think God has for you and you put your eyes on what God has or who God is, he can direct, he can lead, he can guide, he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He can grant influence in a community. He can work because it's not our plan, it's his plan. Perhaps he thought, Moses is thinking, you know, in, in we're talking Chris Henderson language here. Man, I can help these guys out. Moses is a 40-year-old cultural transplant. He doesn't belong in Egypt, and he doesn't belong in the children of Israel. He doesn't know where he fits in. That sounds familiar. Millennials aren't real sure where they fit in in life, but I'm here to tell you that Moses' mistake stunned him. No doubt when his brothers, his people, his fam, his crew, his squad, when they looked at him and said, you're going to kill us like you did the other guy? No doubt he feared for his life. But because Moses did not have the root system to provide the shade that he wanted to for the children of Israel, he fled. Because Pharaoh heard about it and Pharaoh was coming after him. So now he's afflicted on both sides. Affliction. Because of this, Moses is forced from what he wants to change because he didn't wait on God's timing. He was impatient. Walking around these walls, I thought, By now they'd fall, but you've never failed me yet. You've never failed me yet. I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I put my hope in you. 
I'm here to declare to you that if you want to make a difference in your generation, you're going to have to do like Moses and be driven to a mountain. Moses had several notable mountains in his life, just like no doubt you will. Changing the world doesn't look much like what I thought it would look like. Changing the world doesn't really, uh, it doesn't fit into how I think changing the world should fit. There are no hundreds of likes on Instagram or no retweets on Twitter, no subscribers on a YouTube channel when you're changing the world. When you're changing the world, it looks an awful lot like tending sheep. When you're changing the world, it looks a lot like loneliness. When you're changing the world, it looks a lot like work. And when you're changing the world, it looks a lot like commitment. Geographically, the mountain is a higher place. A vantage point that allows you to see beyond where you could see before you arrived at the summit. However, the mountain requires a struggle to arrive. This change in perspective is, is not physically easy, nor is it emotionally easy, nor is it spiritually easy. Physically, climbing a mountain takes work. It takes vision. It takes dedication, sweat, tears, commitment, pushing through pain, and setting your eyes on things above. Spiritually, climbing a mountain takes vision. It takes dedication, it takes work, it takes sweat, it takes tears, it takes commitment, it takes pushing through pain, it takes setting your eyes on things above. The, the struggle to change the world is not an easy struggle. We can look at another person in history who struggled to change their world. Martin Luther King Jr., Perhaps one of my favorite addresses that he ever made, I've been to the mountaintop. Allow me just a few minutes here to kind of read what he wrote, what he said. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, we will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, as his last address in public, Martin Luther King had determined in his heart that he had seen the end of this oppression of the African American people. But I'm here to tell you today that it was because he had been to the mountaintop. 
It was because he had pressed up toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. It was because he had decided deep down in his heart that he was going to take this thing to the bitter end. It was because he had decided in his life that it didn't matter the cost. He was forsaking all to follow Christ. It was because he had decided that he was going to see this thing through. I've got a question for you, millennials. If one man in the 1960s has that kind of dedication to a social cause, what kind of dedication do we have to an eternal cause? If one man can stand and say, longevity has its place, but I'm not really concerned with that now because I've been to the mountain. What do we have to offer this world in an eternal realm? Do we have social causes? Sure, we have social causes, but we better have more than social causes. Pastor Mooney said it on Sunday night. We've got to plug into that which is eternal. Our world is in a state of revolution, and I know you want to change the world. I know you want to have purpose. I know you want to make an impact, but what makes this dark days ahead so glorious is only when you've been to the mountaintop. What's going to give you strength to climb and to continue pressing on is when you've been to the the mountaintop. What's going to give you the opportunity to stay and change your world, to have the roots that go deep enough and wide enough to provide shade to a hurting social cause, to provide shade to a broken family, to provide a rest and a relief to someone who's in need of God. What's going to give you that root system is getting into the mountain. Getting into the commitment of God, getting into his place, finding that place of dedication, of commitment, of resolve that says, I'm not concerned with longevity. I'm not concerned with what this world says. I'm not concerned with popular opinion. I'm not concerned with political correctness. I'm not going to be crass, but I am going to be Christ-like. I'm not going to be what this world says I should be. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. I am persuaded that death can't separate me from the cause of Christ. I am persuaded that persecution can't separate me from the cause of Christ. I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from his love which calls me to the mountain. So take it from Moses. The struggle is worth it. Take it from David. The dedication is worth it. Take it from a young ox. Being rubbed raw is worth it. Do you still have days of frustration? Absolutely. I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone that did not have days of frustration. Take it from Martin Luther King Jr. Is the mountaintop worth it? Absolutely. No doubt your life will be full of mountains. But what keeps you driving up the hill is a fierce commitment to do God's will. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, I just want to do God's will. He thought in his life that God's will was to press forward with the social injustice he was fighting. Moses thought that his will or his life's will from God was to deliver the hands of the Egyptians out of the children of Israel from bondage. 
Moses thought, I I can do this. Martin Luther King Jr. no doubt thought, I can do this. I'm here to say that you can do this, but it's going to take a commitment to God's will. The mountain is God's faithfulness. When you're lonely, God's faithfulness will keep you. That's why the children of Israel forever rehearsed the history of what God had done. Find it in the Psalms. Find it in Acts. Find it throughout where you see dialogue happening from children of Israel. They're talking about Moses. They're talking about Abraham. They're talking about Isaac. They're talking about Jacob. They're talking about the walls of Jericho. They're talking about the tabernacle. They're talking about all of these things because they were pressed up a mountain into God's faithfulness. The question is simple as musicians come. Will you climb the mountain of Calvary? Will you climb the mountain of Calvary? Will you sacrifice everything to follow God? Are you willing to look into the face of those around you and say, who are, who are my brothers? Who is my sister? Who is my mother? Who is my father? The answer is gracious. You don't have to rely on your own strength. When you're climbing the mountain, you don't have to rely on your own ability. When you're climbing the mountain, you don't have to rely on your own knowledge and your own fortitude because there is a strength that you can tap into. The answer is gracious. Will there be loneliness? Yes. But if you've been to the mountaintop, you'll never be alone. Will there be days and nights of toil? Yes. But if you've been to the mountaintop, You won't toil alone. The most encouraging thing I see about millennials is this desire to change the world. They're looking for a hill to die on, a battle to fight. So to this 200 plus, 220 plus student body of Indiana Bible College, I offer you a mountain on which to die. I offer you Calvary. Are you willing to forsake all? Are you willing? It's a question that I can't answer for you. This test has to be faced alone. This test has to be faced by yourself in a room. When temptation comes, are you willing? To die on Mount Calvary. This question has to be faced alone when the offers pour in. And your pastor, your old ox that you're linked up with, that you've yoked up with, that's invested time, energy, love, and life into you. When the offer comes in and your pastor says, I really need you here. Will you die on Calvary, Senior? When you have the opportunity to go out 
and change the world. Will you die on Calvary? We could all stand. I understand that this might not be the most welcoming thing, the most popular thing, but it is the most life-giving thing. It is the funnest thing. It is the best thing that you could ever do. Dedicate your life on Mount Calvary. So I open these altars to someone that wants to die on Calvary. I open these altars to someone that wants to, to find a place like Moses did, up a mountain in a burning bush, up a mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, up a mountain looking over into the promised land. Will you sacrifice your hopes? Will you sacrifice your dreams? Will you say like Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done? Are you willing to make that commitment? This is not a question that I can answer for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that right now. Come on, in your own words, in your own way, answer that question. Am I willing to go the distance? Am I willing to, to sacrifice everything for the call of God? Lord, in your name, Jesus, I pray that